for joining us on this episode of the Cannibal Horrorcast. I'm your host, JD. With me this week is Mark underscore L underscore Miller, writer of Grave Trancers from Black Mask. Hey, Mark. Hi. How long How is it, has it been a year since our last Cannibal Horrorcast? I think it's even been more than that. Mother I'll have to Hubbard. go back in the archives and check it out, but it's it's been quite a while. It might have been, Justin might have been on the last time we were there. We had it, too. Justin, that might actually be true. Yeah. God damn it. Speaking of Justin Jordan, writer of Luther Strode, Curse of Brimstone, and Spread, welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe how goddamn long it's been since we've done an episode, especially since we love horror so much. It's just so difficult to get everyone together. Sadly. Yeah. Well, just doing the tradition. It's like you know, it's like uh, the new Halloween. You know, got to wait a couple of years, build some anticipation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone's out there just anticipating this podcast. <laughs> I think they are. I think they might die of shock to see that we actually got, got our shit together to to do this. Well, let's get started. We're, I mean, I don't want to speak for all three of us, but as far as I'm concerned, Hollow, the original Halloween 1978 is one of the, if not the best slasher film of all time. Am I am I mistaken in saying that? I'm right there with you. Okay, Mark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely one of the true classics especially around this time of year although there are some newer ones that i, I kind of like uh around this time of year like trick-or-treat that's oh, yeah. always a good one that i go to as well yeah trick-or-treat Treat. made it onto my my yearly watch list yeah definitely but um but yeah halloween is i never really get sick of watching that movie mm-hmm. yeah same um it's always nice actually because they've started doing something Every year, I, I wind up the last couple of years going to it, uh, see it on the big screen. So at the movie tavern, they actually played the original about two weeks ago. I'm, I'm hoping that it's something that theaters start doing every year because I never get tired of seeing it up on the big screen. Oh, nice! Yeah, that'd be rad. I I have never seen it on screen on oh. the big screen. So you're missing out, brother. I saw it at a flat. There was a, a horror movie uh, convention uh, a year or two ago in chicago and they had a giant inflatable uh screen and and it was outdoors so it was like you were at a drive-in but it was still everybody was sitting there it was it was a really cool kind of movie experience that there was some of the people in the audience had never seen the movie before and it was a lot of fun just to see it on a semi huge screen but it was more of like an inflatable screen sort of thing i uh just this year uh actually just a couple of months ago went and saw uh 2001 a space odyssey on big screen like a a film print of it and man it was that is a much different experience uh particularly for that movie than watching it on the small screen which has kind of got me more into the idea of like i really need to track down some of these movies i really like and watch them in the format for which they were originally intended 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think there are certain movies that I think it, they just they just resonate more. Um, I still have never seen like uh, The Shining on the big screen, mm. which I would love. I would love to see that. Um, Two thousand one would be amazing as well. Um, the new movie uh, Mandy, I think I would really love to see that on the big screen. Cause I, I still haven't seen Mandy. Watch, I watched that. On my yeah, neither have I. It's been all over my Facebook, but I haven't had a chance to like sit and watch it. It's mind melting. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, let's get started on Halloween. So the first thing, when this started coming down the pike, that they were doing a new Halloween, I was a little nervous because of the Rob Zombie Halloweens, which the further away for those from those I get, the more I despise them. I think that there are some good elements in those two films, but overall, uh, it just feels like a weird cheap version of of the of the franchise uh this which is funny considering some of the shitty sequels that this franchise has uh, taken part in but i was nervous that there was going to be more rob zombieing and I, i'm kind of i was interested that they were going to be ignoring literally all of the uh other continuity of the films and and just referencing back to the 1978 original um so that probably makes it i don't want to i'm just grabbing a number here but i feel like there's been maybe five different continuities for the Halloween film so far. I would say yes. three, maybe three. I don't know. Is that well? Maybe? There's there's one, two, uh, four, five, six. Then there's one, two, H twenty. Then there's one, this. Oh yeah. And then there's the Rob Zombie one. And then there's Halloween three, if you consider that a separate continuity. Yeah. So that's five, depending on how you score it. Which it is a separate continuity, right? Because um in Halloween three there's a trailer on the television for Halloween one. So Indeed. in in that reality of Halloween three, Halloween one exists as a film. Or maybe that was a movie made from what actually happened in real life. That's true, yeah, yeah. Based in on real life events. Halloween three. I would like to I would love to see in my world it's all connected somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you read did you read that uh there was that fan theory thing going around and I normally hate those cuz they're normally gibberish. But this one was actually pretty entertaining which was taking the tack that every instance of Michael Myers after uh after Halloween 2, the end of Halloween 2 was one of those uh druid androids from Halloween 3 that <laughs> yep, was the I... same cult. Yep, I, I I read that article yesterday. Yeah. Which I actually found pretty... I wouldn't want them to actually do that, but as ideas go, it was actually pretty entertaining. I'm like, all right, yeah, I can I can kind of get behind that. That's especially cute. since, yeah. I think, especially since Dick Durock um, actually played one of those zombie guys yes, in that movie. So so there's that connection there. But, uh, see, I, I like to think that... Um, the clown mask that Michael wore in the first movie was a prototype for the three masks in part three. <gasps> oh yeah. That's like actually that. pretty so good. It melted his brain so that he murdered his sister and just started the whole damn thing. But, um, I don't know. That's, I, th- I don't know if I read that somewhere or if that's just, if that's just like, that's another like fan theory sort of thing, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know where I read it, but I know I read it somewhere. But I, I kind of well, like that thinking, idea. Thinking to myself, that even like even the cult of thorn stuff that comes up in primarily five and six, no. like I don't like that it's welded on to like Halloween, which we'll get into when we talk about the new Halloween and why I liked it so much. But 
like the cult idea, like, oh, we got this cult and there's a cursed child that's like our murder machine and stuff, is actually pretty cool. It's not yeah. executed well, but it's conceptually really interesting. Um, which is why I kind of like melting it with like the the Silver Shamrock companies, you know, kind of cult stuff too. I don't know. I'm a sucker for a cult. I think would probably be how that yeah, goes. Just, wicked. Yeah, if, I mean, one thing we know about Justin is wicked into cults. <laughs> it's uh well yeah it's like it's all about druidism I think the the they the silver shamrock little chips were made from druid rocks or Stonehenge or something yeah, like that yep yep and uh, so you know it's all I think it's all thematically the same uh, it's it's like kind of going from the same mythos but you're right it was never done really well and I think that you know. If there's some really ambitious, really talented filmmaker that wants to tie all that together, I think there's, I think there's something to that. I think you could actually, actually put that all together. But, um, but not under the Halloween franchise, I would, I would hope. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, for me, I love it. I love the interconnectivity between a lot of those um, slasher movies of the, uh, of the like kind of 80s and. 90s well I guess into the 90s that's when they kind of started becoming one and done but um, something about that just made it feel special to me like it was it was like a it was like a horror version of Lord of the Rings even though I knew it was being sort of made up as it went along um, I wanted to believe that there's it was some type of blueprint or bible Mm -hmm. to the whole thing I've Um, got this uh, I've got this project that I think I'm actually going to do try to do something with it I think in 2019 um, that my my shitty movie pitch for it, elevator pitch, is that it's Halloween meets the Hunger Games, but it is one of those things where, like, the cult aspect of it is integrated in from the start, um, which I think it's pretty cool. I was, I was thinking about it again. I was like, man, Halloween did a lot of money, so maybe now's the time to try to get back into that slasher kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think this w- this movie will definitely cause a resurgence, and uh, all that reluctance in going into uh, another Friday the 13th and possibly another Nightmare on Elm Street, I think that's going to pave the way for a lot of people actually throwing some money in there so we don't get uh, kind of a shit fest like uh, Leatherface was or... Uh, I don't know the last. I, I mean, the last Nightmare on Elm Street was dreadful, um, and uh, I, I don't know. I I didn't mind that Friday the Thirteenth that would, that came out, but it was it was more like a greatest hits album from like like if you mm-hmm. if you like the Eagles and you don't want to go back and buy their old records, you could get this cleaned up version of their classics that's not that's actually a pretty pretty good take i have i loved it because i like greatest hits albums so it yeah. works for me i actually really like yeah. that remake yeah but that's that's a nice way to refer to it um all right so we talked about the continuity um let's get on to the film so uh going into this movie i was very stoked after seeing the trailer uh i kind of i did giggle to myself a little bit thinking about how old michael myers is in this film uh and it's just like geriatric walking around in a mask um and i think somebody actually made a youtube video like a a trailer based on sort of the comedy of how old the characters are in this when it, i think michael's actually walking around with a with a, a stroller like one of yeah those it walkers. was halloween <laughs> it was halloween 60 years later that's yeah, what it yeah, is yeah yeah um yeah. But, 
that being said, I was still very excited about it. I was a little confused about uh, Laurie Strode coming back again. This is like her fifth time playing that character. And, um, uh, but all that aside, for some reason, I still had a lot of, um, (sighs) excitement going into this film and, uh, I grinned ear to ear, by the way. Oh shit. Spoilers. We're going to spoil the whole movie starting off. We're going to, we're going to talk about all the spoilers, but, um, the, the credit sequence, I was immediately grinning. I felt like I was watching another star Wars or something when that big, uh, Lucasfilm thing comes up. Um, and, uh, I remember how excited I was for that episode one that we don't talk about anymore, but the, the, <laughs> the recomposing pumpkin, we'll say. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was a great metaphor, I think, just like going back just saying that they are going to go back to that original pumpkin that we saw at the beginning, um, and maybe a little bit of a commentary on how rotten it had gotten over the years, mm. uh, Especially through uh, Rob Zombie's, uh, which I just rewatched um, the first Rob Zombie remake, and yeah, that was it was just a it, it was just a complete misstep, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, yeah. you know, the Rob Zombie thing. My thing about this is like, there's that bit in the Rob Zombie one where he's wearing like the yellow paper kind of jack o' lantern mask, and like, yeah. if they had just kept him a slasher wearing that mask. It's fine. It's a perfectly fine slasher movie, ranging to not bad. Like, yeah. But to me, it, it, it so doesn't get what I thought may, always made Michael Myers special. Yep. Uh, like, you know, explaining what's going on and, like, all that kind of stuff and, you know, have him just be this kind of brute that, you know, just powers through everything and all that. Like, that's fine, but, like, it's not, to my mind, Michael Myers, which is what I really liked about this movie was... It felt like David Gordon Green and uh, Danny McBride, who are probably the least likely people on Earth that I would have anticipated for this, are, I won't say that my way of looking at Michael Myers is the only way to do it, but it's the same way that they look at it, like mm-hmm. was clear from from watching the movie. Like, there's this, uh, he's inexplicable, which I thought was kind of a nice, I think one of the things that was subtle about the movie um, and, and one of the things that people have so far talking to them not liked about it was the Dr. Sartain character, like, turning evil. But I thought it was interesting that basically everyone who's actually been directly exposed to Michael Myers in this two-movie continuity for any length of time has just been broken by the experience. Yeah. Like, like Loomis went his kind of crazy, uh, which is not as overt in the first movie as it was in the rest, but, like, still, he's... He's obsessed with the guy, and Laurie has not gotten over it in 40 years. And Hawkins, who, you know, just ran into him that one night, like, Hawkins is all like, yeah, let's kill this fucker. Like, mm-hmm. I made a mistake. Yeah. Like, let's let's put him down. And then Dr. Sartain has just clearly lost his shit from being exposed to this kind of nothing, which I think is a real good take on the character. Like, he's inhuman and inexplicable, and he's, you know, the boogeyman, in a way that the sequels and the remakes lost that, I think, to a large degree, but the first movie was really good about that. Like, why the fuck does he know how to drive? Like, which the movie points out, right? Like, it's not like they were playing that coy. Like, no. you know. Well, I, I liked it in that first movie where they, they asked that question and Loomis goes, well, ah, someone must have taught him. And then no one says anything afterwards. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and it's like, it, it, that they just explain it away with that one, like, 
that one line and uh no one ever really asks about that i want um, someone to do a comic strip or something of <laughs> michael myers at um uh driver's ed oh adam adam green did do that oh adam, fuck uh, yeah adam green who did the uh, hatchet series yeah, yeah he yeah. did uh michael myers the uh, driver driving training oh, God coach. Damn it. yeah he did that that sort of thing but um anyway uh yeah i think I think we're probably going to be talking a lot about Dr. Sartain in this this podcast because that does seem to be the kind of divisive kind of way people are going with this movie. Uh, I, some people think it's like over the top and, and kind of hacky and not, not really hacky, but like almost jumping the shark a little bit. Um, but I really felt that Sartain was, he was the driving force of this entire movie. I, and I feel that like without that, that character, um, Really, none of the stuff, none of the rest of the stuff would have actually happened. Right. Um, it, it, you know, something happens in this movie that I think I just take for granted as part of these films of like, oh, he's being transferred. So, of course, he's going to escape. Um, yeah. And so they actually give a reason here later in the film, which I, I actually quite enjoyed of like, oh, OK, so it makes sense that Sartain is the one who helped him escape. Yeah, like Sartine is is like a Michael Myers groupie. He's yeah. like a fanboy there, and not really. Um, he's he's not even really wanting to cure him. He's more of wanting to observe him. He's like observed him at the most he possibly could observe him as in captivity, and he wanted to let like the monster out so that he could see it in the wild and, and doing his thing and. Not only that, but he drives Michael Myers right up to Jamie Lee Curtis's or to Laurie's <laughs> doorstep yeah. there later on in the movie. And just, uh, you know, I think if not for that, Michael would have been just happy in Haddonfield, just going door to door and killing people. I love time, that you know? scene so much. <laughs> he didn't. He doesn't give a shit about. I mean, he kind of gives a shit about Laurie, I think, because I don't um, know if he does. But I mean, he, he gets there like there's definitely a showdown. Right. So I feel like he. Once he gets a, a whiff of her, I think he, like a shark, goes for her. But I also yeah. love that he was just randomly murdering anybody he could on Halloween night. Yeah, and I think and I think that says a lot to just this this whole movie and that by taking that, that kind of – I think throughout the whole movie, Jamie Lee Curtis thinks Michael is going to be coming for her. Um, he, she's kind of infected – uh, Karen, uh, Judy Greer's character with with all of that paranoia and everything. Um, everybody's trying to protect Allison from that um, by trying to give her a normal life and that that whole thing and and really trying to gloss over the fact that that um, her mom thinks that Michael's all after her. Um, but once he gets loose, he just kind of goes just goes around and, and kills people and 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 really it I don't know what that says. I don't know what that is saying about the movie and about, about like by taking that I, I, and maybe us as the audience feel like he's, he's obsessing over her. But I think that that's just us projecting on mm -hmm. Michael because of what we know about the, the, the films that have now been rendered obsolete uh, because he was relentlessly pursuing her and all of her offspring or and uh, Daniel Harris throughout the uh, the sequels and through H two O and and even beyond that, um, it just it, it it just feels it feels weird by taking that out of there. Um, it makes it a little maybe even sadder 
for Jamie Lee Curtis's character because she's prepared all this time and this guy that she's been preparing for is kind of not really didn't really seem like it gave him much of a much thought into it into actually going for her in the end I, I don't know no I, I I agree um, and I think that's interesting because they're doing that within the movie too right like it's not just the audience projecting like everybody character-wise in the movie is projecting all these motivations on Michael that we see no evidence that he actually has. Like, yeah. he's this blank slate that, like, the various characters are, like, painting on. But, like, there's no explanation there. And I, I think that's I think that's intentional, and I think that's that whole why won't you say something kind of, like, refrain with Sartain, is that Sartain is, you know, he's basically gone insane looking for answers that aren't there. But, like, yeah. he's just the worst example of it like everybody else is doing the same thing including us yeah yeah and i think i mean jamie lee curtis has been i mean you can tell she's like a broken like just a broken person who's given up on trying to find the answer to why that night happened all those years ago now she's just focused on now i'm just going to kill him if and when he ever gets out and uh and I, that, that scene where she gets to the house, the police are there. She's like, we've got to get to my safe house. He's on his way. He's on his way. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, no, he's not. He's across town. And, yeah. you know, he's chasing. And it's just it's just by just by sheer coincidence that he runs into uh, Allison there um, just because they're out walking alone. And really the only ones out that late at night now that everyone knows that uh, yep. Michael's on the loose. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Yeah, and I, and oh, God. I was gonna say, I think it's very telling that in that sequence, he does not care at all about Allison. Like, yeah. he's present. Like, you know, because when she finds her friend's body, like he's somewhere nearby. Like, yeah. But he doesn't go after Allison. Like, he's moved on to whatever next Michael Myers shit is going through his head. Right? Like, that he's. That's Laurie Strode's granddaughter. He does neither knows nor cares. You know what no. I mean? Whereas no, everybody else thinks he should. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing is that that I, I think in that scene, uh, you know, he could not have even appeared, and Allison could have actually thought that that guy tried to get over the fence, slipped, and stabbed himself through the skull with that spike because he's hanging yeah. there with the spike out of his mouth, Ugh. and he was he was drunk, um, so obviously he was. He slipped and fell, and that's what happened, and he was calling out to Lori, or calling out to Allison. But, uh, I mean, I, that's what I would think, if not the case that, that uh, Michael appeared there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That motion sensor scene, by the way, was really, really well done. I, I just thought it was, um, I, it was it was funny, it was intense, it was, I mean, it it had that just kind of, coming at you feel um and you kind of knew it was going to be coming at you but still i i mean that was one of my favorite now speaking of that scene which was very um very tense i did i did like watching it um are we supposed to believe that michael meyer myers doesn't set off alarms or sensors he's a ninja because he's yeah right like (laughs) it only it only goes off when the kid moves not when michael myers moves yeah well he he was very subtle yeah. Yes. I uh, I actually thought that worked into the other thing that I liked, which is that they play it pretty ambiguously, to my mind, about whether or not he's a psychopath or some sort of supernatural entity. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, because he doesn't, there's, there, there's nothing in it that's like, oh, that couldn't happen. Like, the amount of damage he takes is probably, you know, it's pushing the bounds of, like, human kind of endurance. But, like, not so far that, like, you know, when you read about what some, like, Medal of Honor winners have actually managed to do, you're like, okay, maybe. Like, mm. yeah. sure. But then there's stuff like, you know, in the very beginning, like, are the other inmates and dogs reacting because podcast guy is screaming? Or is, like, you know, are they tuned into the Michael Myers kind of wavelength? You know what I mean? It's the same thing with, like, is he just sneaky enough to avoid motion sensors somehow? Or is that, you know, some kind of supernatural thing? I, that ambiguity worked for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I and mean, also, they kind of even mentioned that um, the guy holds up the mask. First of all... <laughs> Who talks to a guy from behind the guy? I don't know. But um, the podcaster takes the mask out of the bag, and Michael can just sort of sense that it's there. Yeah. 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 And, and, and even then, um, I mean, that mask, I mean, he reacts to the mask. He he reacts as he makes sort of fists in his, mm-hmm. uh, in his uh, handcuffs there. Um, and I was just thinking, as a bald man, um, being chained – out there in the sun all day long uh, that cannot be good <laughs> for the head i yeah, hope I that they're uh, lathering michael's head with uh with some suntan lotion so that he doesn't uh start peeling one, <laughs> one of the things that occurred to me in retrospect is that some of the michael myers and captivity stuff only works if you don't think about it like yeah. Not that he's in captivity, but, like, you got to realize, the last 40 years, like, he's been eating, like, somebody gives him haircuts, like, you know, <laughs> like, all that stuff, which completely breaks the mystique of the character if you give it too much thought, right? Yeah. Someone, like, cuts his toenails or... Like, yeah, does exactly. Michael wipe his own ass, or does he have someone have, you know, do it for him? I don't know. Well, isn't but, that the question? Well, they say, he says that uh, Michael can speak, he just chooses not to, yeah. um, which... I mean that that again. I they said that like I think three times in the movie, and I I was like I was just waiting for him to say something at the end of the movie, and I would I I would have been so pissed off, and Same. I'm so glad they did. Same, yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, but uh, I I'm glad they didn't do that. I think that it was a wise move not to do that. But I I was I was terrified. I was more terrified than anything else in the movie than, than to have him say something at mm. at the very end, uh, which I think would have been really bad um but i do think that i i think that the uh, the way they handled that that scene at the beginning when they when they for the podcasters got there i think it was really well done that just capturing the chaos that was going on yeah it's hard it, i mean i i agree that the logistics of of all of that and why they're standing in the sun and not maybe in a, a courtyard or, or or something i've seen institutions where everything is Everything is formed into the like the tables are formed into the floor or they're mm. they're concrete or something and they're not going to be uh, used. I, I would think that they would be in, uh, under some shade or, or something. <laughs> uh, I'm still going back to that sunshine on top of Michael's head. I'm worried about it. Yeah, that first <laughs> that first sequence has the ability to be very silly uh, for thing for reasons like. You know, they're shooting the whole scene talking to Michael's back as opposed to literally anybody would probably go to speak to Michael's front. Um, but I guess they wanted to keep the mystique of, of his face. Uh, and I was a little surprised, actually, about how much they started to show of his face, like almost profile. Yeah, he started to look like uh, that guy from Game of Thrones. Dude, I was thinking, yes! 
I was totally thinking it was that guy from Game the of Thrones. Onion, which the I... Onion Knight or whatever his name was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> actor yeah. who's missing fingers or something. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I guess he, I, I guess that's exactly this. But uh, I, I saw his face. Uh, I was looking at some interviews and things like that uh, online afterwards uh, after seeing it, and uh, uh, he's just a. I think he's just like a stuntman dude that that has that was able to. They said he based his movements on uh, on wild animals, mm. uh, specifically cats, and how cats move and how they're very intent on on. Especially when they have a target in their sights, they're yeah. very intent with every step, uh, very slow and precise with every step. And he said he also took a lot of inspiration from uh, uh, actual hitman that he he uh, was uh, roommate with for a very short while in Hollywood. What? <laughs> so, so that was I mean, both of that that was really kind of interesting uh, to to hear. So, well, uh, but talking yeah, so about he, he took tips. Talking about him without the mask on, what did you guys think of the mask? Because I've been sitting through all of the Halloween movies this season. Uh, I've been watching all the ones that I haven't seen in a long time since. Like I haven't even seen number six since it was in the theater. That's how much I hated that movie. Uh, but I rewatched it. And the masks really jump around as far as like stylistically. Um, and some of them just look god-awful and very silly. But I thought this one looked awesome. Yeah, this, this one was great. I, I think the aging of it looked really well. I think um, in another interview I, I listened to, um, they said that they, they sculpted it so that it was different from every angle. So it, it, it just completely looked different every time you, depending on what angle you were shooting, hmm. shooting. It. So yeah, I think it looked, looked fantastic. what do you think, Justin? I agree. I uh, I thought it looked terrific. My my one vague complaint, which is not a vague complaint, is there's this one bit where like just just the camera angle, it looks extremely mullety, which kind of like jarred me. <laughs> it's like a like a split second camera thing where he's doing something, and I'm like, oh, that is very mullety. But yeah, no, I think that's probably the best the mask mask has looked in any of the sequels. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah, mind the zombie I... mask, the first zombie mask. Uh, which one was that? The, uh, what do you, what do you mean? Zombie? I mean, oh, the I'm, Rob I'm, Zombie mask. I'm sorry, Rob oh, Zombie okay. mask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hated the, se- the mask of the second one because his beard and hair were, were like showing out so, from under the, so the mask. Dumb. And yeah. It's just so dumb. Now it makes sense. I get why, because sure. it makes sense that Michael wouldn't shave or give a fuck about his hair. I get that. But like, just, yeah, visually it looks very across- silly cornfields across america for yeah. some reason <laughs> oh god anyway i um, almost kind of love the sequel the uh the rob zombie sequel particularly the director's cut which is just weird as fuck like yeah. again it's one of those things i would i would be all bored for that one if it were not a halloween sequel like yeah. and particularly in the second one it feels like a different movie with halloween shit tacked on completely I, I, yeah. my view of, yeah. of zombies sequel is that it would be a pretty good movie if you took out all 45 minutes of scenes with white horses in them. <laughs> I don't mind the white horses. Oh, I don't mind it. that. No, neither do I. No, I hate them. The metaphorical stuff, it didn't bother me. But I, I just think that it, it, have it called Rob Zombie's All Hallows Eve, you know? Yeah, and yeah. It, it would be it would be a, a decent film. But uh, because he called it a Halloween remake, that's... That's why everybody really hates it, I think. Mm. And uh, I think that it needs to just be called 
Rob Zombie's Rob Zombie's murder hobo. Two part <laughs> murder hobo and his white trash family. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Hobo with a knife. Yes. Oh uh, man, horse. Rob Zombie Rob Zombie is one of those frustrating kind of directors for me because I uh like I really like Devil's Rejects, but yeah. kinda across the or actually I really like Lords of Salem too. Oh, but like one. for the most part, he's a great director that I wish would work with someone else to write the scripts. Like, it's mm-hmm. not... Yeah. It's usually the scripts in his movies to let me down. Like, the, the choices he kind of makes script-wise. Not not directing-wise. Like, his ability to craft scenes and, like, create atmosphere. Granted, usually the same kind of gritty 70s atmosphere, but still, are really good. It's just some of the script choices, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not with you, Rob. An- another I problem would... I have with him... I'm sorry, Mark. Another problem I have with him, though, is... He also, not only are there script issues, but there's acting issues because it feels like he casts actors who he thinks are cool versus actors who can act. Yeah, well, I, I think that's I fair. Think, I think he casts with who is like sitting a couple tables down from him at <laughs> these horror festivals because you see people like, you know, Sybil Danning in these things and uh, like Michael Berryman and. You know, Danny Trejo before he was Machete and uh, yeah, things like that, which yeah. all those guys are fun actors. They're great. Um, but they were they were in B movies and, um, and and never really given a chance to kind of flourish and develop into like stupendous actors. You know, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I feel that Rob Zombie is I feel like he's kind of in a rut. Where, and I would love to see him just challenge himself to do something um, less um, like everything else he's done. He should remake uh, Critters. Yeah. <laughs> he could remake, yeah. Let him give him a Star Trek to do. <laughs> oh God, I would pay so much money to watch Rob Zombie's Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. I think. Uh, if I win, like, if I, I win this freaking Mega Millions. <laughs> buying the Star Trek franchise just to do that. And you're buying yeah, Rob Zombie. I guarantee there would be a lot of Klingons in that one because they are the, they're the you know they're the grimy kind of 70s hippies hippie folk of the uh of the of space, I guess. I want to see a Sam Haig uh Klingon. Is that his name? Yeah, Sid, Sid, Sid Haig, Haig, Sid Haig, Haig. Sid Haig. Yeah. My bad. Oh yeah, he'd totally be a Klingon. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I mean I I do think that um I I loved all even though like that continuity is now kind of X'd out. Uh, there were a lot of not little nods here and there to uh, to the sequels a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you had the masks in there for one thing, which is, I guess that's... that's. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You're classic. back on the 2018... Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I was just trying to. I was trying to steer the ship back on course Great, a little perfect. bit. <laughs> Make this not a, a Rob Zombie podcast, <laughs> but uh, which is hard not to do because I, I think you can complain more. It's more fun to complain about that one it's and true. pick that apart than uh, this one. But you should uh, do a Cannibal Horrorcast just about those Rob Zombie Halloweens. But go, you really should. Moving you really forward, should. yeah, 2018. Go. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but I I do think that, that I loved all the little winks and nods that they that they had throughout the entire thing. Uh, now, I saw the Just, masks. Um, was there? Yeah. W- what was your favorite? Was because I I don't know if I noticed all of them. I don't know if I have that keen of an eye. 
I mean, I, there were there were a lot of really obscure things that I mm-hmm. think people probably would catch, um, and I only caught it because I watched a video talking about things that you probably wouldn't catch in the yeah. movie. <laughs> so, uh, like, I guess there's a hat in uh, um, in Judy Greer's place that uh, is the exact same hat that was in Laurie's bedroom in part one. Uh, yep, I would not. Uh, nope, you're right. I didn't catch that. <laughs> And uh, I mean, in little details, like they talked about skipping Halloween altogether and just going right to Christmas. And Judy yeah. Greer is wearing a Christmas sweat. I thought sweat that was a great touch. Rock. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I like that one, too. That was her. That was her idea, too. Judy Greer. That was cool. Yeah. That was cool. And what about Toby Huss, man? I I love that actor. Uh, yeah, me too. Know, Remind you know me. Who I'm talking about. He is the guy. He started out on MTV as the I, I don't know who he was. He was one of the guys on MTV. I, he might have been on a remote control or something, but he ended up. He was on Carnival. Um, he was the dad. He played the the dad. Uh, oh Ray. sure, yeah. And uh, you know he's been in a ton of movies. Usually he's just a guy that has a couple of lines and then he's killed by somebody or you know or he's or he's a scumbag and uh, doesn't get much. But he had a kind of a meaty role. I liked. I loved it that that. Um, he wasn't just a throwaway character here. Yeah. He had some really, I mean, he was very supportive to his wife. He was playful with it, with, with his family and had a really good sense of humor. Um, he was, <laughs> you know, he was defending. Uh, he, I mean, he was really in there, like, saying, now, look, Laurie, you need to calm down. You know, he was, mm-hmm. he was really, like, trying to settle things. And uh, he was the one that kind of sent her on her way when she was drunk at the, at the table. Yeah. And I, I think that was a... It, it's 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 weird that I mean I think being it, it with it being like uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride who probably have worked with that guy before a couple of times it's it's just nice that they gave him like that kind of uh, just that kind of meat for that role mm-hmm. and I, I, I it just it stood out to me as just something that that uh, you wouldn't you, you normally don't see in those movies you, it's usually the dad is kind of an asshole or he's kind of disconnected or he's kind of uh you know just out of the picture mm-hmm. um and in this one he's very much involved in the in the whole family and i think yeah, that, that was really feels good. more like an actual character yeah um, yeah, when I yeah. first saw him, though, I was a little confused as to who he was supposed to be. And I was like, oh, he's supposed to be Judy Greer's husband because he just yeah. he looks so old. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's only he's 51 and she's 43. So it makes okay. sense. But like when I first saw him, I was like, wait, who's that guy? Oh, oh, they're married. <laughs> OK, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, he starts talking about his penis. And, and yeah, I he goes, oh, I got peanut penis. butter on my penis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I actually, in general, liked that I found most of the characters likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the probably notable exception is uh, Drunk Boyfriend. Oh, God. oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I, I think that uh, something tells me there's probably a lot on the cutting room floor that hinted that he was kind of an asshole that kind of got yeah. sliced out of there oh, just see, because I- of. I liked that it came out of nowhere because that's how it had happened to uh, Allison. I like that. Like she thought he was great. And then all of a sudden he sees that she, he's sort of like making time with another girl over at the dance. Um, yeah, but it's never resolved. It's like, you know, you never get the comeuppance of Michael just kind of running into him and 
shoving his well, face I'm in a bowl of pudding. Because that was, you know, <laughs> that's one thing that does sort of bother me about some of these long-running um, sequel, you know, franchises is that everybody winds up running into the one person in a lar- you know, in a town. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it would have been weird if yeah. like that kid ran up against Michael Myers randomly. Well, this yeah, is New York. I kind of like that too. I I do wonder if that was an intentional choice, or if that stuff existed and just didn't make it into the final movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did like or, the stuff like they had like uh, Julian, the little the little kid that Vicky was uh, babysitting. <laughs> oh, that kid was, was fucking awesome. hilarious. Yeah, he was great. For one thing. <laughs> but I also like that he just runs out of the movie and that's it. Like yeah, he yeah. just never heard from again, which yep. I kind of dig actually. Yeah, yeah. Like. Oh, God. He's just yeah, there clipping his great. toenails. <laughs> I loved his little lisp. You yeah. know, he had, a, he, had, he had a little lisp there. Oh, he was great. He was. That is that is exactly the right amount of funny kid in a movie. Yeah. Incidentally, yeah. like, like just yeah. enough to be awesome, not so much that you get sick of him. Yeah, now, exactly. Speaking of that kid, though, I want to talk a little bit about maybe your favorite scare <laughs> in the film quote-unquote scare because my favorite sequence in the movie is actually the um it's a very small thing but they showed it in the trailer and it's in that little boy's room and it's the the woman you know the babysitter going up to close the closet door and it keeps like obviously michael's in there and just keeps hitting his foot and then she opens it up and he's in there i love that sequence um yeah it, it, it would have been very um, – because it could have easily just been like a toy stuck under the door or something like that. Um, but I, I, I really like that, and I wish they hadn't spoiled it in the trailer. Uh, actually, I agree. I, I was thinking that during the movie. I'm like, I wish I hadn't seen this during – I actually, by and large, kind of wish I hadn't watched any of the trailers. Mm-hmm. Like, it was yeah. it was one of those things where it wasn't necessarily like an instant sell for me to go see it at the movies. So, like, the trailers were necessary. But it was also one of those, like – I actually wish I hadn't seen a lot of these scenes earlier. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like the the dropping of the teeth uh, over the stall. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and there's the other scene where uh, I think, well, there's just the one where he busts through the door and his hands are through each side of the door and yep. grabs Jamie Lee Curtis. It's like we, we've all seen those photos or seen uh, just that those clips so much uh, I, I also wish I did not see as much of the, the him just walking from house to house because that was probably my favorite scene of the entire movie of mm-hmm. just him just nonchalantly walking in grabbing a hammer killing the lady grabbing the knife going next door and, you know and just having it having that happen all in I think that was all in one shot too which was really really well done um, and it, oh. it, I, I think that that was just a, a really cool way of, of just really illustrating how Michael moves and how dangerous he is and how really we don't even 40 years after um, this in this kind of like really like a, a little bit more of a scary scary time you look back at the set uh, the late 70s as, as a little bit more of a, a safer time maybe yeah. maybe that's a false sense of security but um, it, now when you would think people would have their doors locked um, you know people like sometimes just leave the back door open or you know they just don't think about it and uh, it's it's just something that that he totally takes advantage of Mm -hmm. i I thought um i was i was particularly impressed that in general i thought the the kill scenes were all really well done in the sense of 
one thing that I, I find a lot of modern slashers kind of miss is like the suspense sort of thing and the mixing up the rhythm of things, right? Like, like I go back to like Scream. For all that we remember that Scream is like a deconstructive kind of thing, Scream is actually a really well-constructed slasher movie. Like, the, the individual like scenes where Ghostface is doing his thing are really well done. And this was actually probably the best slasher movie I think I've watched since then in that regard. Like, they were good about some stuff was on camera, some stuff was off. Like, sometimes the kills were really quick, Sometimes they took a long time and there was a lot of suspense. Like, that continual keeping you off balance with those choices, I think, made everything work really well for me. I was I was impressed at that. Particularly since I had watched uh, all the other Halloween movies in the last, like, week or so, because they've all been on television. And I was just like, man, as much as I love some of those movies, they often do not do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's, and I, yeah, I and I think that even though the original Halloween had very little gore um they did have some some really violent scenes but there wasn't like like sartain's head exploding you yeah. know <laughs> under under michael's foot or anything um it's still it, it, i think that that kind of just made it modern enough not to the gratuitous place where you know, there's the horror movies that just kind of revel in that sort of gore, and they just oh, they just live to show the gore in every ounce of blood that in every every either CG or uh, or or prosthetic or, or practical effect that they have, and it's it's there to highlight that. But then there's like the films that actually just use it as a way to as as one tool in in the scene, and I, I think that this one does that really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's it's not like a highlight. It's not a gore reel, you know. Yeah, no. I, I, they didn't shy away from it, but they I think they did play. Uh, they played with the strengths of letting the imagination do something. Like the scene that we were just talking about, where he goes and grabs the hammer, and the woman's there just making a sandwich, and she gets killed off screen. All you hear is the sounds of it, which uh, a lot of times is actually more visceral for me than seeing all of the fake blood and everything is, is hearing the sounds of crunching and, and, um, uh, just murder, I guess. So, uh, I like that it played with both of those. It didn't, didn't shy away from violence, but it also didn't, um, rely on it too heavily. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, those movies that have that balance, um, it's interesting because I think that, uh, it, the guys that actually make the effects, I think they they direct those scenes a lot better than than other people that aren't used to that. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm thinking of the guy that's that. Uh, oh God, why am I forgetting his name? The guy, the guy who's uh, oh, is it Greg Nicotero? Is he the one who does The Walking Dead? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Where he is, he's direct. He's like executive producer. He's become like one of the directors of the place. But he started out in KMB Effects, who was one of the biggest. 80 late 80s horror uh like gore guys who made who worked on countless films all the way all the way through the 80s and 90s and i think that uh seeing seeing his evolution and how he can highlight the uh, highlight the effects but it's not all about that and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's great to see it's great to see effect uh directors do that sort of thing um, so one of the things that struck me as I was watching this movie, we're talking about Laurie earlier, and I want to get more into Laurie's evolution uh, throughout some of the sequels. Um, I feel like I was very sad watching this version of Laurie Strode 
uh, 40 years later. And um, the night before, I had watched H2O, which uh, gets a lot of flack, but I really do enjoy that movie uh, for the most part. Um, but I remember thinking that I liked the Laurie Strode from H2O more than I liked the Laurie Strode from H4O, let's call it. Um, or let's never do that again. Um, but what do you guys think? Do you do you like the Laurie from H2O or, or from 2018? No, that's hard. I I think I think I like the the 2018 one um, just because and, and having watched those two movies both recently, like this Lori felt more like Lori to me, um, and not just because she traumatized, but I was thinking even in terms of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's body language and stuff. And, you know, the fact that she has essentially the same hairstyle probably helps, but yeah. like even in the way she moved and kind of interacted with characters felt much more similar to the first movie than she did in uh, H2O. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, I, I mean, like that aspect of it. I, I, I kind of agree because I think that, you know, Laurie was never an extrovert. Um, in the first movie, she was very, uh, like, nerdy and nebbish and just shy. She she didn't want to go out with Ben Tramer, <laughs> even though she liked Ben Tramer and Ben Tramer liked her, but she had to get Annie to, to not... To, you know, to take all that stuff back. And I, I think that uh, just having, uh, I, I, I think that having her, uh, I, it, this felt, it, it felt like um, a Linda Hamilton sort of T2 sort of uh, transformation, but it, you never really had in T2 a, a, a time where uh, Linda Hamilton really, breaks down and shows you like just past that how that damaged she is tough yeah and, and how damaged she is like that that dinner scene uh when she gets there and she's she's all nervous and she's standing up at the end of the table and she won't sit down and she's she's she just starts talking to everybody and takes a drink of of wine from anybody's glass who's near her and I, I mean it could be played as comical but it was just it was just really tragic and then yeah. just to have her sit down and just break down like that especially at this like this is the first time the parents uh, is meeting her boyfriend and her boyfriend is meeting her parents and now her crazy grandma walks in and all this stuff it just felt i mean it was a really well done scene that it didn't feel out of place in this movie um because it really did show how much damage Michael did to her all those mm. years ago. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think this is just a fuller character. Um, mm. The other one was, the other one just felt like she was, uh, she was trying to forget it all and just in denial almost. Mm. Uh, just See, trying to hmm. have a life in this gated community. You know? But that's why it didn't really, that's, I'm projecting my own feelings onto it of what, what I want to happen, I guess, when, when a trauma befalls somebody. Uh, I want them, you know, because at the end of Halloween, uh, I would hope that Lori is a stronger person than she was at the beginning of Halloween. And that's sort of the Lori that I got in H2O. She moved on. Yeah, she, um, you know, her relationship was over with her ex-husband, but she's still raising her son. She has custody of him. She's headmistress of a school. Um and she's a stronger person because she came out alive at the end of H, uh, uh, you know, Halloween. And this one, it it didn't feel like it just felt like she was cowering for forty years, like preparing um, 
to you know to take him down now there's a scene where she's the new loomis at the end basically where she's hunting michael as opposed to being hunted which i really loved um that whole sequence with the room full of mannequins was yeah. was very strong and also i didn't realize was an exact re- uh, reproduction of the bedroom at the end of uh, halloween where you know yeah. I, I didn't realize that um and also i loved the turnaround where she falls off the balcony and then he looks down and she's gone. Uh, yeah, the, well, the whole theater uh, clapped at that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what um, that's what I noticed that not only is she playing Loomis, but she's she's uh, she's kind of a monster herself. I mean, they're kind of showing her. Um, I mean, uh, Allison is in the classroom. She's being talked to. By the way, that 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 voice was PJ Souls. Uh, I didn't uh, catch that. Oh, was uh, it? Nice. Yeah. I didn't catch it until I, I read it afterwards. So I, I just read a lot of this stuff afterwards. But I wish I would have known that. Maybe I would have listened to it and heard. Maybe there was a she snuck a totally in there. A totally. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but she's in there in that classroom and she looks out and it's the exact same scene where except it's Laurie instead of Michael out there looking at her um, in this kind of very creepy <laughs> creepy way. <laughs> you know, you see your grandma across a. a busy street i thought she was going to run out in traffic after the uh, uh after the the dinner scene mm. yeah just, me too oh, yeah i was worried about that too yeah. yeah i don't know i i liked that just i don't know like i would have i would have liked for Lori's life to have gone better you know yeah. like i have enough affection for the character for that but in terms of what they did with her in the movie it just felt so much richer to me and like mm. the fact that she's completely aware she's fucked up like like, there's no denial on Lori's part that, like, that night 40 years ago, like, broke her. Like, yeah. like she knows. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That, that, that's all kind of richness that I didn't feel was there with the, with the H2O iteration of it. Mm-hmm. it. It didn't help that um, Josh Hartnett's hair was horrible in that movie. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and Sean Cunningham filmed that movie like it almost looked like it was a soap opera. It just did not have a, a cinematic kind of like look to it it all felt flat and very very much not a uh it felt more like a a, i mean sean cunningham was behind the the, most of the friday the 13th films and it felt more like a friday the 13th film than a a halloween film i'll tell you my favorite scene from that movie though is like you were talking about the dinner scene here there's a lunch scene between her and her new boyfriend and he leaves the table for a minute and she orders another glass of wine before she's even touched her first glass of wine. And she chugs the glass of wine uh, and then has a replacement wine there for when the boyfriend comes back. Uh, that's like, uh, for some reason, that I really love that scene. Oh, there's yeah. a bit in H2O also where she drinks a fairly large amount of vodka. Like... <laughs> When she goes into like the bathroom and then like mouthwashes, like like her oh, self drinking right. problem is like a running thing in that. But like yeah. just the amount of vodka she drinks, like holy shit, Laurie, like <laughs> <laughs> might might want to throttle back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think we're all we're also forgetting that she was also in the next movie as well. Um, yes, Halloween bust Halloween Busta Rhymes. <laughs> um, where she is much more like she is in Halloween 2018 than she is in Halloween H2O. She's True. in a she's in a mental hospital. She's like kind of all frazzled. Um, she is sort of prepared for Michael, 
but no one's believing her that he's yeah. awake and she's kind of institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he does throw her off a roof there. And, you know, me hoping that this is all in continuity somehow that she <laughs> just survived that. Well, and then once she got off the roof, she just went straight to that house in the woods yeah. and started building her well, mannequin shooting that's range. A, that's <laughs> a great point, actually. I was, I was thinking earlier um, that this does uh, the H... Uh, the 2018 does feel more like a Lori after H2O happened as well. It does. Yeah. yeah. So I actually and, like that idea. The next one. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I mean, it feels that way, but the, uh, the other thing is it doesn't, I mean, there is that one throwaway line at the, it, like in the middle where she says, Oh, people, people made that up to try to make sense of what he did that they were related, but that's not true. But maybe that is true. Maybe that's what they told. That's what uh, Lori told everybody to kind of protect everybody and yeah. fear that she was coming back. So, you know, maybe it, I think that just because one character says it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's canon. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my, I went to go see it with my wife, Sushan, and she said that after the film as well. She's like, maybe, I, you know, maybe Lori just told her granddaughter that so that she wouldn't worry about like you know, I'm related to a serial killer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah. And maybe one of the product of one of her other marriages, she had little Jamie, Mm -hmm. uh, little Danielle Harris too. So, um, Uh, speaking of Allison though, (laughs) how do we feel about the very end of the film? I didn't realize that this was originally intended to be like a two parter, but, um, having known that now, uh, the end of this film makes more sense because I thought it was an interesting end for a, a Halloween film, um, but also I, I can see that it would be picked up immediately after this if they do a sequel, which it looks like they probably will. Well, it's interesting they ended it like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. <laughs> they very much did. Uh, I, I like that particular homage, actually. <laughs> yeah. You mean like the back of a truck? Well, yeah, like they all climb in the back of a truck and they drive down the roads. Just some stranger drives by yeah. <laughs> and they jump in, you know, and run away from the burning building. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously that we're going to deal with, in the next one. This is going to be more like Allison's story of dealing with the trauma. Yeah. And you're going to see Jamie Lee Curtis trying to guide her through that trauma. Mm-hmm pretty sure michael's not dead yeah <laughs> now i you know i i think if they really wanted to, I, I i i mean they're stupid if they wanted to like you know kill him but i think a good way to kill him was to have him halfway up those stairs before those swords go across the oh, whole yeah. thing that was awesome. and just kind yeah. of pin him in there a little bit and chop him to pieces maybe uh but uh yeah i think that uh the the way they ended it was kind of perfect i love the way he was like just just soullessly looking up at her while he's trapped. Oh, God, it was beautiful. That was amazing. Yeah, the fire just started started to kind of come up around him, and he just didn't even flinch, didn't yeah. even move, just kept on staring at her. I also really love Judy say... Greer's uh, scene right before that, where she's screaming for help and saying that she can't do it, and then it was just to lure Michael into the line oh, of fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I uh, Actually, my only complaint... Uh, my only real complaint about the movie, right? I, I, I could have nitpick things and scenes every now and again, but my only real complaint, and it wasn't enough to stop me from absolutely loving the movie, is I really wish there was more Judy Greer in it, which mm-hmm. is probably true of any movie. Yeah. But in this one in particular, it felt like Karen 
kind of got short shrift. Like, I, I feel like we could have done with like one or two more scenes yeah. with her. Yeah. Like, no, it's, with her as a focus. I was really waiting for her to lift up her shirt and say, no more of these, Michael. <laughs> from Arrested Development. My eyes are up here. My eyes are up here, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, but I, I agree. I, I, I kind of wanted her to die at the end. I, I know this, it's probably not the best thing to say, but <laughs> I wanted one of the Strode ladies to die just to make it resonate a little bit more uh-huh. for all three of them to get out. I mean, I, I understand they wanted it to be a big victory. Um, over this thing for three generations basically of of this uh, of that um but i i do feel that someone had to die there um just to kind of i don't know make it feel like it had heft i guess um i was i was like i will say i was genuinely surprised that someone didn't like i i honest to god honest to god thought either laurie or karen was gonna bite it yeah yeah um, and one I, of them was going to get trapped down there with Michael. I was, I was, I was expecting that to happen. You know, that was actually where I was kind of leaning towards right before that sequence played out. Was that it would be him and Lori down there, and they would trap him down there, and they would kind of die together, a la Halloween yeah. two, Loomis and Myers. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> she'd be so like, hit was... the button, hit the button, and uh, you know they're wrestling down there, and uh, yeah, um, that would have been so cliched though. The fact that we were all ex- expecting been... it. Well, that's yeah. it. that's exactly it, right? I'm I'm glad they didn't do it just because it's kind of the obvious thing, yeah. and you know, there's nothing wrong with doing the obvious thing, but like, I I think what they did worked really well. Like, so I I was I was kind of glad they didn't do it. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree with Mark though. Like, I don't know. I I'm kind of two minds about it. Like, I having seen the way they did it, I'm glad no one died, but it did feel like. It didn't have quite the amount of heft it might have had if somebody had kind of bit it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or if Judy would have been down there, Judy Greer would have been down there, or I guess her name's Karen in the movie, um, and she would have said, hit the button, hit the button, and it would have been this thing where she finally realized, she she knows the house, she knows the safe house, she knows it's all lit to blow. She knows what she's been prepared to do. She's already had her moment where she fired at, she she let let him out and fired at him and killed him, and uh, and they were the ones wrestling down there in the I'm, basement. She's, I don't believe you know, that either her daughter or her mother would punch put that button punch that button. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's whether they they know that if they get if he kills her that unless unless she's bleeding out unless she's like almost dead. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. she, she's beyond hope. Then I could maybe believe it of like, well, we've lo- we've lost our daughter or, you know, um, you know, we lost our family member. And the only way to make this worthwhile is to make sure that he goes down with her. Maybe. But yeah, yeah. Look, um, all right, there's one there's one nitpick I had about the whole final act was that I think there was a whole lot of unnecessary movement throughout the house. Um, and I I got lost as to where everything was. And I know that maybe they might've put that in there to kind of disorient the audience maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. but I still, it was like, they all like, they showed everybody downstairs and then everybody was upstairs. And then she was complaining about, uh, Karen having the lights on. And so she had everybody turn the lights off and, and do all that stuff. Then they went downstairs again. And there was a whole bunch of that, that, uh, you know, that, that centerpiece, 
thing moving back and forth and back and forth in that last act. Mm. Um, and it just felt, it, it felt a little bit, um, it, I was just uh, like, I was just kind of confused as far as where the, what the, the layout of the house oh, I see. looked like, you know, yeah. it was, there was a whole bunch of movement in there that seemed unnecessary there mm. at the end. And again, yeah, that and might I, be an uh... issue too. I was reading about it today. Well, I was actually reading about something else related to Bloomhouse, but they were talking about uh, Halloween 2018. And one of the things they changed is they did they did reshoots to add to that sequence um, and make it more cat and mouse. Huh. And I would bet cash money that that is why that comes across that way. Yeah. I, I, Although, I did love the sequence where she's going through each room and then uh, barring, barring it off with um, like a like a trap door, right? Yes. Yeah. That was actually just what I was about to mention. I'm like, that was really fucking clever. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it makes sense. Like it's something a person could do. Like whenever she started hitting those buttons and it was sealing off the rooms, I'm like, good work, Laurie Strode. Yeah. That was, that was Ripley in the Nostromo sealing off every, every door ah. so that the alien wasn't going to get to her. Nice. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, that was the exact, I mean, it's, it really is. I mean, this really is kind of like an homage to all of those, those kind of, uh, final girl, uh, kind of films Mm -hmm. of the, like the, of the early eighties, like aliens, Terminator two, uh, like, you know, Halloween itself, you know, all of those movies, there really is those, these kind of little homages in there all the way through. Now, what did you guys think of? So, okay, so I thought going in that the the score by John Carpenter was going to be mostly just the same score over and over again, and you know we had elements of it repeating, but he added a lot of really interesting sounds to this score uh, that I, you know I noticed. Uh, I I bought it uh, like immediately. I already have it on the soundtrack. But um, what did you guys think of the score? I thought it was just gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I thought it was really good. It, it might actually be better than the score to the original one. That's what I've been saying. Yeah, there's there's yeah. more elements that aren't just the same repeating like three themes. Um, yeah, he definitely goes in and he adds he adds more throughout. So it's a lot better than the They Live score, which is just. I can't even place it in my head what that score. They Live like. just as that kind of droning theme it feels like through the, the the entire movie although i love that movie but the yeah. theme is a little less inspired but um yeah yeah i think it's it's really good it's uh it's one of those uh i i mean he's definitely developed as a as a as a composer and i think his sons actually helped him compose that this time around so yeah. it's it's like a yeah. family, family effort for the whole thing as well. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I thought, and this was one of the rare movies where I actually was paying attention to the theme because, or the the score. I don't often. Yeah. Uh, the only other exception where I tend to notice it is Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> possibly for the same reasons. But I was aware of it this time, and I was like, "This is a good ass score." I'm like, mm-hmm. "Well done." I, I was honestly probably expecting it to hew closer to the original. Um. Whereas, yeah, like you said, it had elements of the original, but he really did a lot more new and different stuff with it. So I was I was impressed. One thing that uh, I I really love about Halloween Four is the first time you hear the dee doo doo dee doo doo dee doo dee doo. It's it's when they're 
they're loading Michael up into the gurney to be transferred from the hospital yeah. to the ambulance. And they really bust out the doors. And I remember I saw this in the theater and they pumped that music so loud and there was a bass to it as well. Yes. And it it really does pop. And I, I love that version of it, especially just that scene, because it really did let you know that Michael Myers was back because we had had Halloween three there. And this was the return of Michael Myers. And, and it really did just let you know that, mm. you know, it's, it's back. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I love that theme uh, yeah. from part four for some reason. Um, but uh, this one was really excellent. It's probably the best produced, you oh, know, yeah, of, sure. of all of them. You know? um, the, I, don't, I hate to do this again, but the worst use of that, uh, that theme music is when young Michael is running down the hallway in Rob Zombie's number one. Um, the first time we hear that, I think, in that film is him running down the hallway, and it is a freeze frame for no reason. And uh, it's just him, like, jauntily because running down the, the hallway. And uh, yeah. I remember the whole theater busted out laughing as opposed to cheering. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is not a good sign. Yeah. 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 But, oh, man. Ten-year-old Justin freaking loved halloween 4 i actually oh. still have a lot of affection for halloween 4 oh me too i think um, 4 is great uh my only I, I think it really flies off the rails with 5 it yes, does i agree it does you've got you the, know, the end of number 4 with loomis like i can still hear after all these years loomis's scream when he sees uh-huh. jamie at the top of the stairs with the scissors and the clown outfit that is yeah. haunting as fuck it is yeah. it's i mean it's really really well done and i think that that's you know i I don't know. Part of me just wishes they would have just embraced all of that. And yeah, don't don't accept the Rob Zombie ones, but accept the rest. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not highlight, maybe not make it about druids or anything. Yeah. But I do think that just, I mean, I, I really like the scene where uh, Sartain puts his mask on. Yeah. And he's like, I want to see this. Uh, I want to see what it's like to kill through these eyes. And it, it's just really, really... Um, you know, I, it looks a little goofy with this kind of like old kind of like, you know, this yeah. old dude. His old frame, yeah. Stretching, it, stretching the mask over his big head. But I, I do think that um, what he's saying and, you know, he's he's like orgasmic at that time. You yeah. know, he's like he's never killed anyone before. And it's like he's he's just killed uh, Hawkins. Um, and that's another character who I think kind of got the short end of the stick there, short shift uh, mm. there in the movie. I, I really think that he should have uh, should have had a little bit more to do. Yeah. I would have liked to see a, a flashback of him arriving at the scene, maybe. Oh, uh, no. no, 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 um, no. I, I read, really? I read something where originally in the script they were going to reshoot the end of Halloween one and show it so that. Um, all of, you know, everything that takes place takes place in this new continuity, and I'm so glad that they didn't go back and fuck with the original. Really? Uh, yeah. See, I would I would at least like to have seen like him wrestling with someone who looks like Loomis. Oh, like, you know, oh, making I didn't sure he doesn't shoot him. I, I don't know. I, it's... I don't know that. I, I thought about that, and I I was because I was initially thinking the same thing, but again. That is one of those things where I think you are better off not thinking about the logistics of it. Because yes. it's like, yeah. like, how do you bring down Michael Myers alive, right? Like, you would have to have, like, a bunch of cops grabbing him or whatever, and it just takes away from the mystique of the character in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. like I think when you say, like, oh, we captured him, like, it's vague enough that, like, you don't 
give much thought to like what that actually means. Whereas I think if you have a scene where like younger characters are like kind of wrestling with him and all that kind of stuff, it it makes him more human than he probably should be for yeah. the purposes yeah. of the movie. Yeah, that's as of true. seeing him in cuffs or something would just yeah, that's that's a weird image for me to have to process. That's what this... was, that's what happened in uh, part five. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't explain why where he was uh, when Loomis looked down and yeah. Michael wasn't there at the end. But um, I don't know. I mean, the, this movie ended with. Uh, did you guys stay until after the credits? Oh, uh, with the breathing. Oh, yeah. I heard. Yeah, yeah, I heard about the breathing, but I didn't hear the yeah. breathing. Yeah, I mean that's all it was. It was just okay. breathing. But still, oh, it. It's uh, a nice touch. I mean, that's enough to say, hey, he's still. He's yeah. still there. You know, he's still alive. Don't worry. As does the $77 million opening weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad it did well. Yeah. I am too. I think it, this is one of the times where I think they, they really did do whatever this is. I don't know if it's a I, – I guess it's a – it's not a reimagining and it's not a reboot. It's just a sequel. Re- kind of a sequel. I, I call I'm it a – call it a requel. A requel? I, I call it a goose. A real <laughs> A nice goose to the franchise. Um, I don't know. It just it does feel like a, a re-energization of the franchise. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about seeing another Halloween movie, especially if it's produced by David Gordon Green, which it probably won't be directed by. Maybe it will. Maybe he will do a sequel to this, but. Mm. Um, uh, I hope that they they have plans for. I, they say they they have they have already started writing the script yeah. for a sequel. So. I hope as long as they don't Halloween Resurrection it. Yeah, because I thought H two O was a nice capper to the whole series, and then they just yeah. came back and were just like, well, n- no, you know what I mean. So they kind of ruined the end of H two O with the beginning of Resurrection, and I hope they don't do that here. Yeah, they are really going to have to walk carefully in this yeah. next sequel so they don't just really undermine all the stuff that they built up in this mm-hmm. one but i also um, wonder like how far can they go with this continuity now that the man is like in his mid-60s well, evil never dies i guess it starts hey, eating uh, its own pants though he's got judging by the stallone theory he's got another 10 years of you know <laughs> Yeah, Sartain has been injecting him with male growth hormone. (laughs) (laughs) He wants him to live forever. But, uh, you know, they did hint. This is the thing, though. Um, There were a couple of just little hints dropped throughout the whole thing about Judith Myers. And they were like, uh, like, first it was like, what was it about Judith Myers? He says that in the car. And that's what wakes him up from his his. when he gets hit by the car um and earlier he he goes he makes a beeline right to judith meyer's grave once again um to see that gravestone you know he's right there in the in the graveyard with with the podcasters and and uh the grave uh or whatever it is the the the, uh cemetery keeper or whatever that's called (laughs) you know what they've never uh, touched on that i can remember his parents because his parents come home at the end of you know after he murders his sister and the parents just, you know, freeze frame there. Um, but then they never really touched on them, have they? Well, it, now we're now we're complaining about about what Rob Zombie did give us. Now. No, no, you know, no, 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 no. I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, no, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Um, I was just curious if maybe I'm wrong. Like, have they touched yeah. on what happened to those two people? 
No. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I hope they don't fuck up the sequel. I thought this was a great um, a great installation into the, the franchise. I think yeah, I'm... I mean, I don't want any more insight into Michael. I would like to know a little bit about Judith for okay. some reason. They, they made the, the, that movie made me a little bit more curious about what was so special about Judith Myers. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm curious as to how you could do a, an, an effective sequel to this movie, right? Like, I, I think you could do a slasher movie that's good, but this movie did so much right that it's hard to... I know they'll make a sequel, and I know I'll be interested in seeing it, but, like, I, I don't see in my head how you could do it without, you know... I don't see how you can top it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I mean, what do they do? Go to a hospital after this and mm-hmm. then you get Halloween two <laughs> all over again. But, uh, and also, I mean, Rob zombie did kind of deal with the fact that, um, I, I mean, his, his Halloween two, if you, especially if you watch the director's cut, it gets, uh, it makes it seem like Michael Myers doesn't even exist at all. And it's all lower. It's all in Lori's head. Um, oh, that's oh, I forgot she's, about she's that. She's the one doing the killing, and with with the way uh, Allison is gripping that knife at the end yeah. of this movie, you know, I I don't know. Are they going to try to do that again and do it right? I well, don't know. It, I definitely feel like it was a bit of a callback to Jamie at the end of episode four. What's that? I'm sorry, I, oh, I was sneezing. Oh, it's <laughs> okay. I said it felt like a callback to Jamie at the end of episode four at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I went with it, too. Um, so, yeah, I wonder. I'm interested. Yeah, me too. But, uh, all right, guys, I, I think that's we covered most of it. <laughs> I think we did. We yeah. did talk the hell out of it. And even if we did, I, I, I wrote about uh, almost a 3,000-word review of it that I'm putting up on my website later today. Oh, so great. If, if you guys are interested in reading it. I do. Where do we find it? Uh, it's on ML Miller writes and, uh, all month I've been counting down the best in horror all year long. I'm currently on, uh, number, I think 11 today. Nice. Um, and so, uh, or maybe 10, I'm not sure, but, uh, I'm squeezing this one in, in between my countdown just because it's a special, you know, this is such a, such a, it's a movie. I, I honestly, I could probably talk about this all day with you guys yeah. and I could, that's how, write I, about all day, that's how I feel about this one is that a lot of these movies I'll go see and then I'll just be like, okay, well, I'm done with that and then move on with my life. But this is one of those ones that like I'm reading the Fangoria interviews and, and articles. I'm reading the birth – what is it called? Birth Movies Death did a yeah. special oh, yeah, yeah. magazine. Yeah. I've been reading that. I've been looking at like videos online. I've been reading you know what you missed sort of articles and stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm really doing a deep dive on this one just because I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, same. I'm I'm actually kind of astonished how much I'm into it. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, I, I'm just hoping that it's it it ushers in kind of just like Halloween did back then. Maybe it ushers in a new kind of sense of horror where you don't have to you don't have to go back to the origins and show us why Freddy is evil. You know, yeah. Freddy is evil because he's evil. You know, yeah. uh, Jason is Jason's a killing machine. It's a pretty simple concept for him. You don't need to go back and, and really relive that stuff. You can, I think this movie does a really good job of just pressing it forward Agreed. and uh, without, without retreading too much. 100%. Well, thanks so much, guys, for joining us on this episode of the Cannibal Horror Cast. I'm hoping that we'll be able to get together more often, but I definitely we should did... Talk- 
We should talk Suspiria. Oh it's shit! I haven't seen that soon. Oh, it's not out yet, but it no, will be out. I mean, I haven't seen Suspiria. So. Oh no, the, the original, the re- right? No, oh, you got it. Well, the remake is coming out yeah. like in a week or so. Yeah, I, I, I want to see that. I'm curious, but I, I don't think I've ever made it through the original. I keep I've tried a couple of times, and I just like either fall asleep or give up. So. Speaking of which, that is actually another movie I would love to see on the big screen. I I want to try to find a film screening uh, of Suspiria because I think it would be a markedly different experience. Hmm. I got to see it last year at the Chicago Music Box. Um, just at, and it was uh, it was an original, I believe it was a thirty five millimeter print that was in Italian and it had subtitles. Nice. And it was just it was just really really uh, it was so vivid and. Yeah, I mean, there there are some story blips here and there. It's a it's a um, you know it's it's an Italian giallo mu- movie with a lot of with a lot of gore and a lot of witches <laughs> and crazy stuff. But um, I I just loved every minute of it. It's it is definitely one you want to see on the big screen. Nice. And this new one looks amazing too. I yeah, it looks really promising. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. Hopefully, I can. I'm if I can, I'm going to try and watch the first one again before I do but um, alright well I guess that's it thank you so much for joining us and we will talk to you Until next time, smoke drugs, have premarital sex, and hey, why not go check out that strange noise in the basement? What's the worst that can happen?